Hi there, Quick Linkers. Today I've got uh, lined up for an interview, James Shaw from EF Education Easy Post, uh, just to have a chat about how his uh, new time on the his time on his new team is going on, and obviously about his plans for the rest of the year. Hello, James. Hello, hello, and listeners. How are you, how how are you getting on? How how is how are things going at EF? Yeah, they're good. Thanks. It's um, always a bit daunting. I think going to a new team, um, but obviously I've had the uh, the added complication of a step up as well, coming from uh, from Ribble. Um, so there's been two things, to, two major things to sort of uh, get used to. But no, I feel like it, it's uh, yeah settled in well, and 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 uh, yeah, there's no teething problems or anything. It's it seems to have got off to a very good start. So I assume obviously with a new team, you'll have like a, a new coach and sort of a new new plan um, for your training. How, how's that adaptation been? Um, well, they've, they've been really good, actually. They've actually allowed me to keep my old coach. Um, so I've used uh, a company from yeah, the south of England called uh, Trainshop for, this will be my eighth year with them. Um, eighth year or seventh year? Seventh or eighth year with them. And um, it just had that real good connection. Um, and the team were more than happy for me to to keep that, um, keep that, you know, sort of if it, if it ain't broke mentality. Um, so, yeah, I've not, I've not had a new coach, but obviously the team have had, have come in and had influence on now sort of what happens. So, so just sort of overseeing it, but not, not, they're not unhappy with anything. So nothing's changed really. Um, so, yeah, it's been really good. Um, it's just more um, getting to know the new managers, getting to know how selection for teams are made, who's in, you know, you, you tend to meet everybody on training camp at the beginning of the year. And then some people you don't see again until training camp the following year, because you go off and do races that are always hilly and they go and do races. that are always flat. Um, so yeah, it was a, uh, yeah, it's more more getting to know the managers and the setup and who does what races. So, yeah, no, it's been it's been real good so far. Yeah, and obviously for, for those of you familiar with your, I suppose, story, they know that obviously you you were at uh, Lotto sort of a few years ago. Now you had a couple of years at that level before dropping back down to sort of more UK domestic level, and obviously returning this year. Um, you know, e- EF and sort of I suppose Slipstream Sports in all their guises have always had a bit of a reputation for maybe sort of finding those talents which maybe have been you know left behind or sort of people have maybe missed out on or you know they've had a chance and maybe not quite you know achieved what they uh wanted to so you know is was that part of the decision process when sort of they approached you you knew their history or was it just a case of you you were, were obviously very excited looking to get up, up to that level and you know they they could offer you you that that contract yeah, I mean, so like you said, just to, to fill my backstory in a little bit, I um, I never raced in the UK as an under-23. I went out and raced in Belgium on Lotto's amateur team for two years. I stagiated at the end of my second year with the pros, went pro for two years. And then it all sort of came to a bit of a abrupt ending, really. It, it, didn't, it didn't end well. It was a bit of a, um, not a fallout, but... but 
we both sort of went our own ways and you know even given the option to stay i wouldn't i wouldn't have stayed because it, it, it wasn't right for me um and then went to race for swift in 2019 which was an absolute disaster and you know if people want to want to you know that there's a reason that they don't have a team again this year and it's not because of lack of funds it's because of political reasons and more i think more light will be shed on that in the future um and that's certainly a story i think people do need to know but in time um so i nearly called it a day at the end of lotto i nearly called it a day at the end of swift and then i had an opportunity to go to a pro continental team in 2020 um so just for people that don't understand is um it's the second tier of professional cycling sort of thing. So your top tier is the World Tour, which Lotto and EF are. And then there's a second tier of professional cycling called the Pro Continental Ranks. Um, and that's like, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Premier League, Champions League sort of thing. Um, it's like, the yeah, the second tier down. Um, so I went to a Pro Continental team for 12 months in 2020. Um yeah, and obviously we all know what happened in 2020. We, we all got coronavirus and nearly died. Um, so the team actually hit financial difficulties. We had a sponsor pull the plug in uh, end of May, April time, which meant that the team didn't continue as a pro continental team for last year, which would be 21, which is when I went to Ribble. I did have the option to stay with this other team, this this. Uh, it was called Rual Readiness as a continental team, but I'd already decided to join Ribble at this point, and I wanted to come and live in the UK, stay at home, um, be with a British team, that kind of thing. Um, and that was, yeah, the year that sort of um, everything turned around, really. Um, I'd sort of gone from being very much of the mindset of, oh, I'll give it a couple more years and then probably accept that the cycling didn't quite pull out all the way for me. Um, but then halfway through the year, obviously got in touch with the guys at EF. And I think, I think they've got a brilliant way of selecting riders. Because I think from the outside looking in, it basically looks like what they do is they get a list of all the riders and all the teams and they go, who's underrated and undervalued by that team? Or who do we think is underrated and undervalued by the team? We'll have them. So like, for example, like uh, Mark Pudun being a, a great example, he went and won two stages of the Dauphiné and then they didn't take him, Bahrain didn't take him to the tour. And obviously, like I think the team noticed that and said, well, actually we could do with somebody like that at the tour. Let's take Mark. You know, and I think also like Dool, um, you know, he was very much a domestic, occasionally got his own job, his own role at Ineos. And I think obviously the team saw his past and saw what he's done and said, oh, you know, actually we could we could benefit from somebody of that style. So I think they, they look at a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of riders and work out who's potentially undervalued. Um, so hopefully that's what they sort of saw in me was sort of thought, oh, actually, actually, he's, yeah, on his day, he's really good at what he does. You know, let's let's give that opportunity you know, and I am grateful for it because I understand I'm probably at an age where some teams aren't that interested in guys sort of out of the 23 ranks to go pro. 
um, where he, have, I think, have always been known for being a little bit, um, or like you say, slipstream or whatever they've been called in the past, um, have always been known for being a little bit of like um, a bit of a maverick team. They're the sort of like their hats of cycling, if that makes sense. They're the team that are a little bit more different. They don't quite do things the normal way. And I think that's evident with Lachlan and his alternate race program that him and Alex do together. Um, yet we're still quite sort of serious in the sports performance side and, and, and winning bike races with guys like uh, Court Nielsen and, and Valgren and, and uh, Aran Carthy, you know, them sort of guys. Um, so, yeah, so it's when I started getting in touch with them sort of middle of the season, um, and originally I just messaged one of the directors just for advice. I just messaged to say, like, you know, um, what do teams look at? I can, I, obviously, it's, it's a good British staff infrastructure there as well. Um, just sort of message someone. Just, just, oh, so when you sit down and look for riders, what do you look for sort of thing? And he said, oh, X, Y, Z. ABC sort of thing and I was like oh well you know could I some I don't know register my interest as it was he says oh yeah go on then sort of thing so sent my CV across and and got the ball rolling from there um yeah and that's how things sort of picked up really I, at the time I didn't have an agent I self-represented um so yeah I guess it was a bit of a bit of a yeah, a gamble. And at the time, I didn't know if EF were going to make an offer or if it was all just sort of um, early stages. So I sort of done this once I'd learned the way to do it. I sort of did it with other teams as well. Um, and in the end, I you know I had five professional offers in the end from varying teams, a couple pro continental and and, uh, and three world tour. Um, so yeah, I'd sort of worked out my strategy my marketing my board meeting as it was and um yeah so it just went from there and i think the ultimate decision came down to like i really see ef as sort of like a land of opportunity almost like a bit of a you know um <clears throat> i think like other teams just wouldn't suit my style of racing or i think you know myself and the team were sort of singing off the same hymn sheet sort of thing it's it's very much a we race on like adrenaline and and you know instinct in the moment sort of thing and and I feel that that fits my sort of uh do or die mentality to racing um and and yeah I think feel like the two the two things combined um yeah was was what sort of drew me to the 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 style of racing and and the love of the sport uh, on the team side. Yeah, and you know, obviously you've you've been back in the obviously done a few races so far this year. Um, you know how how have they gone so far? I mean, obviously I was I was looking through the start list and obviously I see you've you've had quite a few of a mix of teammates. Obviously at EF in in your various races, you've obviously been racing with some of the. The sort of well-known names. I mean, you raced with Iran, for example. I saw in one race, and then obviously you know caught in another race. So you've, you're certainly you know working within the team, working with those biggest riders that they have on the team. Yeah. So per, <laughs> it's been a bit of a roller coaster 
start to the year, if I'm, if I'm honest. So I went on the training camp and um, it's just the European riders were on the call, gone back to Colombo or whatever. Um, and given the, the risk of flying and catching COVID and everything, they split into, they had one camp later in the year, which was Spanish speakers and one camp earlier in the year, which was Europeans. Um, and I went there and I came back in the best form of my life. I did my own camp in Spain, got even stronger, went to my first race, which was Helpvar. And uh, yeah, I was top 10 on GC and, and, and uh, top 10s on two of the stages was, you know, came back. I was like, oh, this is my year, you know, back into the world tour. It's all up from here. And then strangely enough, I got a call from the doctor the day after the race, the day I got home. And he, he said, because um, I was due to go to a race again later that week. I think I flew home on the Sunday evening, I spent Monday at home and then I was due to go to the airport to fly to another race on the, on the, oh no, I was due to fly on the, the Sunday evening, but my flight got cancelled. So I didn't fly until Monday morning. It was, it was there when we had storm Doreen or whatever it was where all the flights were getting cancelled. So my flight got cancelled. I didn't make it home Sunday evening. Um, so I flew Monday morning, um, got home and packed my bag and everything got ready to leave on Tuesday morning and got a call when I landed, when I got back on Monday from the team doctor. And he was like, Oh, they're not trying to panic you, but have you done your COVID test to go to the next race? And I was like, uh, yeah, I've done it, but I haven't got the result back yet. And he was like, right, you need to go and do a rapid um, COVID test because a few of the guys in the team have tested positive this morning for, coronavirus and I was like oh I didn't have any symptoms felt fine um so I ran along and did a did it I did an NHS one because I'd been told that I'd been in close contact with someone who tested positive and that came back inconclusive um and the doctor was like oh you it's too much of a risk to send me to the next race go to East Midlands airport which is my closest one go through the drive-through and do a rapid four-hour result one um and then he was like you know don't worry about the cost just get it done the team pays whatever so went and did it and lo and behold it came back positive and i'd had it for three days not known just sort of been isolating um yeah but i got the result on the wednesday morning and then the thursday was the day that they um weren't enforcing mandatory isolation anymore um so if i if i timed it well that was the only thing um and i had it for um yeah, I, I didn't have it that bad. I had really bad backache, really bad headache. The team slowly got me back on the bike in over the course of, yeah, I think I had seven, five, six days without the bike. And then I had seven days where I was literally just like riding for an hour, if that. Um, felt fine, got back on the bike, didn't have any issues, blah, blah, blah. Um, <clears throat> and then obviously we had the issue in the team that everybody else was obviously catching COVID or crashing or whatever. Um, and they were like, oh, crikey, okay. Um, I was in a position where I was testing positive on the lateral flows for like two weeks after after testing positive on the PCR. So I couldn't actually fly anywhere because you have to have two negative ones. Um, so I was testing every day, praying for two negatives and it just wasn't happening. So I missed Strada Bianchi, which would have been nice to do. Um <clears throat> 
then started testing negative. And then the team called me up and said, oh, we know you're unfit and you've been unwell, but can you get to San Remo? Yeah, yeah, no worries. Go did Milan Torino on the Wednesday, San Remo on the Saturday. Then went to Coffee and Bartoli with a head cold, um, which led to some coughing and like a inflammatory bronchitis type of thing. So I had to come home and recover. Just got over it, went to Basque with a ran. Flew home Sunday night, flew Monday to Belgium, got to Belgium, was fine, went to bed. <clears throat> Woke up in the night with like a, like just out and out fever symptoms, was sweating, but I was shivering, had headache, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I rang the doctor and he was like, yeah, you've got to get home, like you're not well. Um, and lo and behold, then I picked up like a, a influenza virus. So I literally just had a run of like, three big illnesses in the space of like 10 weeks. Um, so it's been a bit of a, been a bit of a kick in the face, to be honest. Like I was, you know, started the year thinking this is it. This is my year. The plan was to go, um, Brabantapel, Flesh, Liège to the Giro. And then it just all fell apart within the space of about three weeks. Um, and yeah, I did some blood tests and the team were like, well, you're not ill, ill, but yeah, you need to stay at home, recover and take some time to train and get fit again. Cause there's no point just sort of, you know, using you as a tennis ball and just going race home, race home, race home sort of thing. Just getting, just beating yourself into the ground. Um, <clears throat> then obviously there's the, the awkward situation that we were going to races and not even starting with a full team because we couldn't get enough guys, couldn't get enough healthy guys to start lines of races. It was getting ridiculous. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a roller coaster of a start. And uh, yeah, like you said, I did Basque with um, Rigoberto Aran, which was yeah, that's the first time I met him. And uh, yeah, he's a character. He, 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 in in real life, it is like what he is on Instagram with his all his Insta stories and stuff. Um, yeah, he's like, a. he's like, um, what's the Looney Tunes character that's the Spanish speaking one? Is it like Roadrunner or something? And he's just like here, there and everywhere. So of Speedy Gonzales or something mad. He's just running around and yeah, he's always on his phone, like doing these videos for his YouTube channel. And, uh, um, yeah, he was, <laughs> it was like, he never slept. It was like, he was full gas all the time. So what's um what's the plan now? Obviously, I assume obviously it sounded like your plan for the first part of the season was building up to the Giro, um, and obviously you know that you know we're speaking on the day that the Giro started. Um, you know what's the the plan now, sort of for the for the rest of your season? You know when when do you think you'll be you know racing next, or you know have have you got ambitions, plans to go to one of the other Grand Tours this year? Yeah, so provisionally. And, you know, it, it ultimately comes down to trying to get on the star line of races. And obviously there's mixing everyone's program. The The season, now the season's underway, it calms down a little bit now. The Giro started. Everyone's found their feet. The beginning of the year is always mad because there's so many races as well. And everyone wants to get race fit, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, um, the national champs um, and then tour of, tour of Austria, and then, yeah, I've asked, 
you know, register my interest or whatever to go to the Vuelta later in the year. Um, and obviously there'll be things in and out, you know, around there. There's obviously things like Tour of Poland, Tour of Denmark, uh, Classica San Sebastian, these kind of races. There's a lot, you know, there's still a lot of races out there, a lot of races going off. Um, so, yeah, um, but that would be, you know, I'd really like to to pull the EF jersey on at the, at the Vuelta. Yeah, obviously your racing has been a little bit limited this year, but have you found that there's a difference in sort of the the, the peloton in terms of its attitude towards you? Because you know, I, I always imagine that you know when you're on a, a pro Conti team or a Conti team, sort of that 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 door might get closed a little bit quicker, or that space that wheel might not they might that person might not let you on that wheel. Is you know have you found that wearing you know an EF jersey now people are a little bit more lenient maybe at giving you a wheel or giving you a bit of space, or is it not something you've noticed? I mean, I know yeah, I know what you're saying. Like a bit more, is it more respectful? I think it is. Um, Rightly or wrongly, I guess. But um, I don't know. I think before when you were in your ribble kit, if the door got shut, if you got your elbow in and you pushed your way through, you know, people were like, oh, all right, fair enough, you know. Where now they don't, they're not as tempted to shut the door as quickly. Uh, it still happens. It's bike racing, you know, and, and sometimes it happens more, you know, because another team's like, oh, well, we don't want you bringing your team leader near our team leader because you might drop our team leader. So we'll shut the door on you to make sure, to make it more difficult for you. So it swings and roundabouts where, you know, when you're on a little team like Ribble or whatever, often they let you through because they expect you to get dropped later on in the race. They think, oh, you know, let you, let you have your day and then you'll get dropped on the final climb. And then obviously last year they were like, oh, actually you're still here oh that's a surprise um well yeah maybe it, so it works both ways really it's not always you know it's not being on a small team you don't get bullied as much yeah you don't get bullied per se because often as not if you if you're in if you start a, a big race and you go to the team that's in the that's in the yellow jersey trying to control the race and you say look i ride for a connie team can i go in the break then nine times out of ten they'll put their hand on your back, push you to get you out of the way and shut the door so you go up the road because they're not actually that bothered about you. Where, yeah, say you're, I don't know, riding in the classics, you've got a ran on your team and stuff like that. You want to go in the break. Often they don't want you to go in because they want you to help pull it back later on in the race, for example, you know. So, yeah, it swings and roundabouts, advantages, disadvantages of both. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it is a little bit easier to sort of, uh, you know, it's less less aggressive, maybe, but yeah. And um, I suppose finally, obviously, you, you I think you've got your contract next year as well, haven't you? So you've got that little bit of security that you've got rest of this year to get fit, and um, then obviously moving on to next year, you've got a, a, another another season to contend with. If you were gonna, I, I say, well, write your perfect script, you know, sort of the perfect race for you on the, the calendar, which you think you you might be able to achieve, you might be able to win. What would you say it was? Yeah, I think um, for me, the dream I think is Strade Bianchi or Oliege Baston Liege. It's one of these two. Like uh, I'd have to flip a coin to pick, um, but I understand they're obviously a bit unrealistic maybe a bit unrealistic for me at the age I am now you know hopefully with uh Asian experience and I have my uh 
I don't know, my growth spurt of, you know, whatever, um, that something like that just become realistic in, in, you know, 24, 36 months time. So yeah, that, I think those two races are the, the ultimate, you know, dream. I, I'd love like, I think the, the white roads when, you know, they've got the, the big Tuscan trees on the roll in Tuscan, Tuscan hillside. I, it's just, it's almost like a romantic cycling picture, isn't it? it it's got that sort of, um, yeah, I don't know what it is, that magical romance that, that, yeah, people don't really get, do they? They, they think, right, so you want to ride a bike doing 250, 210 beats a minute as you're pushing out 400 watts, breathing through every hole you've got and you want to get covered in dust and risk that it's potentially raining and then do a descent on gravel. And you're like, yeah, 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 that's that's my dream. And people are thinking, you know, are you okay sort of thing? And like, yeah, you know, some I think like yeah, that's the thing I think with races like that and the classics is if you don't get it, you'll never really get it, will you? Like if you don't understand those races, you'll never properly understand cycling. They think of it as like a, you know, oh, you, there's there's a white line on the floor that says finish, and all you've got to do is cross it first. But it's much more than that, isn't it? It's much, yeah, it, it's a it's a longer journey than that. Um, so for me, those two races really hold like a prestige within cycling that I think also suits my character because I think Roubaix and Flanders also have that have that romance but I don't think Roubaix or Flanders is anything I could particularly ever perform in just given the nature of of my ability. Well thanks very much James we'll obviously look out for you for the the rest of the season you said well definitely at the Dauphiné you said we'll see you uh, maybe before uh, and then hopefully see you at the start line of the Vuelta later in the year. Yeah, that'd be good. You've been listening to Quicklink Podcast, your daily microdose of pro cycling news and results. You can find us across social media at Quicklink Pod, or you can contact us by emailing show at quicklinksports.com. Share the show and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Bye now.